Today's sermon comes from John 3, 1 through 21. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher that comes from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. So here's the title of the article. Bad 2016 Memories Smashed at Times Square Good Riddance Day. Interesting article title. Went on to describe how since 2006, there's been a group of people around New Year's that uh, write down their painful or unpleasant memories and then throw them into an industrial shredder pretty good idea. They also provide a sledgehammer so that if you have a, an object that represents a painful memory or a, a, just a broken memory that you want to get rid of, you can take the sledgehammer to it. Uh, and it's patterned, this good riddance day is patterned after something they do in Latin America around the new year. In Latin America, they, they take an object that represents something unpleasant or a bad memory, they stuff it into a doll, uh, and they set it on fire. So that's how they do it in Latin America. Uh, what was interesting about this article is the quote from one of the organizers of Good Riddance Day. Listen to what he said. It really is this need we have, even when the world is crazy, to say, you know what? I'm going to let go of the things that have been dragging me down and going to look forward with a sense of hope and the possibility of change, either for, for myself personally or for the world. So this is a chance to detox in a big way. Now, all of our hearts resonate with a good riddance day because we're all living in a broken world. 
And we have broken pasts and bad memories and unpleasantness and sin and all the stuff that plagues us that honestly being able to, if we could, just put it in a shredder or put it in an object and light it on fire, right? We, we want to divorce from that past and we all want something new. Question is, does, does good riddance day really solve the problem? What we're really longing for in our heart of hearts from the unpleasant past or memories from the past or sin or whatever it is that plagues us, what we're longing for is rebirth. Now, we don't call it that. But that's exactly what Jesus calls it in this conversation that he has with Nicodemus in John chapter three. And so it begs three questions we're gonna answer. Number one, what is rebirth? Number two, why is rebirth necessary? Why do you need it? And number three, how do you experience rebirth? So let's start with what is rebirth. Now there's, there's two key concepts to understand when we talk about rebirth or being born again, as Jesus calls it here in John chapter three. The first is this, is that rebirth is not merely a better life. That rebirth is an entirely different kind of life. Look at verse six. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Now notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say that which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is better flesh. What's being described here is two entirely different kinds of life. In fact, in, in the Greek language, which is the language that the New Testament is written in primarily, there are two words for life that get translated life in English. But the two words in Greek are, are bios and zoe. And bios is where we get the word biology. It describes the physical life that you get when you come out of the womb. Okay? Everybody that comes out of the, out of the womb gets, gets bios. Uh, Luke chapter 8, the parable of the sower in verse 14, describes the people that are choked by the cares of this world and the pleasures of this life, bios. John uses a different word in chapter three and in his gospel, and it's that word zoe. It describes, it gets translated in chapter three, eternal life, but it describes the very life of God. In fact, in John 1, 4, the very beginning of this gospel, it says, in him, in Jesus was life, zoe. And the life, zoe, was the light of men. It's the very life of God. It's what we see in Genesis 2 when God makes Adam and he says this, or says this, then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. What's striking about that is that God, from the dust of the ground, creates the man. But until he breathes into Adam, he's not alive. Until he breathes his very life into him. And so what we see here is that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Flesh gives birth to, to bios. Everyone is born into this world with the physical life here on earth. But spirit gives birth to Zoe. Now, second concept. So the first one is this. Rebirth is not talking about a better or more efficient or more improved life. It's an it's a entirely different kind of life. 
Second, rebirth is not something that you do. This is the point that Nicodemus was absolutely hung up on. Because Nicodemus, as it says, was a a man of the Pharisees. He was a ruler of the Jews. He was a teacher of the Old Testament. Nicodemus had answers, perfected answers on what it meant to see and enter the kingdom of God. He had those answers down to a T. And so Jesus comes along and blows it up. See, now Nicodemus' understanding of entering the kingdom of God was this. Follow the commandments. Don't worship idols. Be a good Jew. And Nicodemus, by nature of being a ruler and a teacher, and, and, and he did it really, really well. And Jesus comes along and says to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, you're not in control of this rebirth that I'm talking about. Verse eight, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. He's saying, this is a work of the Holy Spirit. Nicodemus, you can't manufacture this. You're not in control of this. This is a work of the spirit. God has to breathe this this rebirth into you. Now, what's striking about this is that Nicodemus should not have been shocked by this. That's why Jesus says to him, he says, Nicodemus, don't marvel at this. You're a a, a teacher of the Old Testament. You should know this concept is all over the the Old Testament, primarily in Ezekiel 36, when God says, I'm gonna give you a new heart. I'm gonna pour my spirit into you. Replace your heart of stone with a heart of flesh. And then in Ezekiel 37, God gives this amazing word picture of what rebirth looks like. The promise he gives in 36, he gives this amazing word picture in 37. And it's where God takes Ezekiel, the prophet Ezekiel, out to this valley of dry bones. And he says to Ezekiel, can these bones live? And Ezekiel says, Lord, only you know. So God says, Ezekiel, I want you to prophesy to these bones. And so Ezekiel prophesies, and there's this beautiful picture in Ezekiel 37. The bones start to rattle. They start to come together. The ligaments come together. The skin comes on. And then there's a striking statement right in the middle of it. It's a picture, it's a picture of Genesis 2, right? The, the body has come up, and there's skin and bones and ligaments. And then Ezekiel 37, 8 says this, but there was no breath in them. There was no breath. There was no Zoe. There was no life. And so God says to Ezekiel, Ezekiel, I want you to prophesy on the breath. We read, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. The breath came into them and they lived and stood on their feet. The wind, the breath, the spirit in Genesis 2 that breathes Life into Adam is the same wind, the same breath that breathes life into dead Israel in Ezekiel 37, which is the same wind, the same breath that Jesus is talking about in John 3 that has to breathe life, Zoe, into you and into Nicodemus. Rebirth is not a better, more productive, or more efficient life. Rebirth is an entirely different kind of life from an entirely different source. 
the spirit of God, not the flesh. Flesh gives birth to flesh. Spirit gives birth to spirit. And yet, I will say this. In our culture, you will find volumes upon volumes of material, of books, of podcasts, even sermons that speak about a better life, a more productive life. In fact, I was, I was listening to a video. It was actually an audio, but had video of a church this past week. It said this. It said, we're not going to tell you what's wrong with you. We're going to help you become the person you want to be. So you tell us who you want to be, and then we're going to help you get there. In other words, we're just going to, we're going to maximize you. We're going to make the best version of you. We're going to take bios, and we're going to make it super bios. We're going to take flesh and just make it better flesh. And Jesus says, no, that is not what rebirth is about. Rebirth is about an entirely different kind of life. Have you heard the expression, putting lipstick on a pig? Put lipstick on a pig, put a ribbon on its tail, spray it with perfume. Guess what you got? You still got a pig, right? You can do religion in the flesh. You can do religious living in the flesh. And you can do it really well. Nicodemus had it mastered. He did it really well. But he needed rebirth. Several years ago, uh, my wife got rear-ended in her 2001 Nissan Pathfinder that had nearly 200,000 miles on it. She got rear-ended, so we get the insurance check. And I'm looking at this insurance check, and I'm looking at the car. None of the quarter panels were bent in. It was just the the bumper and everything was mashed in underneath. And I thought, I think I can save some money here. In fact, no, I can do this myself and make money off the insurance company. So I went down to Ace Pick Apart on Main Street. It's a junkyard, if you don't know. Went down there, and I found a bumper and the bumper cover and all the parts necessary and everything that was messed up underneath, right? The, the, the spare tire holder, everything was messed up. And, I, and this was a, a Nissan Pathfinder, an 01, in the junkyard that had been smashed in the front, but the back was great. Took all the parts off. Paid for them, you know, pennies for it. Got home, took the crumpled bumper off my wife's car, had to drill a few holes in the metal to get stuff to line up. In fact, I'm out drilling one day with my, you know, metal on metal. And uh, it must have been making a God-awful sound because my neighbor, Beth, I'm up under the car and my neighbor, Beth, walks over and I, you know, she couldn't see me. She's heard the sound and she said, she came over and she said, hey, Keith, Keith, what's going on? I popped my head out front of the car. I'm like, what's wrong, Beth? She's like, that sound. I said, I'm just fixing my wife's car. Who needs a body shop? I guess this doesn't go on in our neighborhood, but it's, I'm okay, I'm okay. I spent hours and hours and hours. I did take the bumper cover to a body shop just to get him to paint it so it matched the car. I get it all on there. And boy, did it look good, pretty. I was impressed with myself. Kim was impressed with me. She's like, you just fixed my car without a body shop. I said, yes, I did. 
Six months later, guess what happened? No, not an accident. Good guess. The car died. Wouldn't start. So I finally, I get it started and I drive it to the dealership where I'm gonna trade it in to get our new car. And I get it there and, and they, it got there, but then they couldn't get it started so they knocked $500 off my trade in. So I lost more than the 350 I saved on the insurance check. The rear end of her car looked great, but it wouldn't start. Lipstick on a pig. I needed a new car. I needed a new car. I give that illustration to you because that, that's religion in the flesh. That's religion in the flesh. Rebirth is not a better life that you're in control of producing. Rebirth is a brand new life, an entirely different kind of life that only the Spirit of God can produce. And this leads to the second question. We started to answer it, but why is rebirth necessary? Why is it necessary that you're born again? Look at how Nicodemus responds to Jesus in verse nine. He says, how can these things be, Jesus? And then what does Jesus say to Nicodemus? Are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? Now on the surface, we can read that as Nicodemus just has some intellectual problem. He's just not getting it. In fact, if when you read that he he says to Jesus, how can you re-enter your mother's womb a second time? Listen, Nicodemus was a brilliant man. So don't read that and go, man, what? He just wasn't very smart. No, no, he was brilliant. He was, he was mocking Jesus a little bit at that point. Like, what are you talking about, Jesus? But you read it and you think, well, he just has an intellectual problem. Like, the, he can't intellectually grasp it. But no, no, no. What we see in verse 11 and then down to 19 through 21 is that this is not an intellectual problem. This is a deep problem of the will, and not just Nicodemus's will, but yours and mine as well. Look what he says in verse 11, what Jesus says to Nicodemus. He says, you do not receive our testimony. Notice, he doesn't say, hey, Nicodemus, you just don't understand what I'm saying. No, no, no. He says, you're not receiving it. And then verse 19, the light has come into the world, and people loved darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light. Listen, you can intellectually understand something and still hate it. You can understand the light and hate it. Uh, you can understand the nutritional value of collard greens and hate them. You can understand intellectually the value of going to the dentist and getting your teeth cleaned, and you can hate it. Choose not to go. What Jesus is unpacking here is a problem of the will that by the nature of the fall and by the nature of the sin we've inherited from Adam, that we are born into this world with our wills. And by when I say will, I mean that's the faculty within you which chooses light or darkness, right or wrong. It's, it's, what, it's the faculty in you that makes decisions. And by nature of the fall, our wills are in bondage to darkness. That means that we love the darkness and we hate the light. That would explain why you may share the gospel with someone. 
They may intellectually get it and understand everything that you're saying and choose not to surrender their life to Jesus. What's going on there? It's not an intellectual problem. It's a problem of the will. It's a problem of the will. Now, you may say, Keith, I know people who love darkness. I know what people are like who love darkness. Murderers, pedophiles, thieves, bullies, six o'clock news. What, I, mean, I, I know people that love darkness. But you may say, listen, I know people that are the nicest, kindest, uh, most, most well-behaved people in the world. And you're telling me that their, bond, their wills are in bondage? That they love darkness? No, they don't love darkness. Jesus is speaking here to a religious leader of the day, Nicodemus. He was a model citizen. He was well-respected. He, he did what was generally right, right and not what was wrong. In fact, as we move through the Gospel of John, what you're gonna see is that Jesus reserves this harsh language of loving darkness and of evil to the religious leaders of the day, people like Nicodemus. The one, he uses language that you would expect him to use on the sinners and the prostitutes and the tax collectors of the day, and yet he uses the language on people like Nicodemus. People that you and I would look at today and say, that's a, that's a good person. That person loves light. They don't love darkness. Their will's not in bondage. How can this be? I want you to imagine a young man who grows up with a very engaged father, a father who pours into him, a father that, that growing up teaches him how to treat women with honor and respect, a father that, treat, uh, that, that uh, teaches him how to be a good employee, a father that teaches him how to um, manage his money well and to love his neighbor well. So this father pours into this son. He goes off to college, the son does. And in college, he's still in this real co close communication with his dad, just figuring out how to navigate life in college. And his father continues to pour all this into his son. The son graduates and takes a job in a, a city that's far away from home, different state. And the son starts dating a woman and he treats her with the utmost honor and respect, just like dad had taught him. And he gets his first job and he's a model employee. He submits to his boss. He's respectful. The principles his dad taught him. He manages his money to perfection, just like his dad taught him. He loves his neighbor. He lives in an apartment complex and he loves his neighbor and he goes out of his way to help his neighbors just like his dad taught him. But he no longer talks to his dad. Doesn't call him. Doesn't email him. His dad calls him, leaves voice messages. Son doesn't respond. Son doesn't respond to his dad's emails. Son doesn't go to visit him. Dad says he wants to visit. Son doesn't respond. All communication functionally cut off. Would you say this is a good man? Would you say he's a good person? No, you'd probably say, what an ungrateful son. What a prideful son. 
No gratitude to his dad anymore. Uh, and prideful, taking all of this good behavior he has and all the gifts of living life and, and, and owning it for himself and not giving dad any credit. Listen, darkness. Darkness is forgetting who made you. Darkness is, is, is failing to give thanks to the one who made you, the one who has given you the gifts and talents and everything that you have. Darkness is independence. It's autonomy. It's functionally, I don't need God. That's what Jesus is talking about here. And what we see is that your will is in bondage to that darkness because you and I come out of the womb into this world committed, radically committed to independence. We don't want anybody to tell us what to do. We don't want anybody to tell us how to live. That's our native heart, utterly committed to self-sufficiency. Light, on the other hand, is dependency on God. So if darkness is this radical independence from God, light is dependence. Look at verse 21. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. You see that dependence? Light is dependence. Darkness is independence. Imagine you have a lemon tree in your backyard. And this lemon tree does great, produces lemons, but you want apples. You want apples. So you go down to the store and you buy a bushel of apples. Take these apples and you tape it on the lemon tree. And then you pluck the apples off the lemon tree and you go, great, I got apples. Six months later, you got lemons ripening on the tree again. What's, what's the only way to get apples? You got to plant a new apple tree. What Jesus is saying here is that you need a new heart. You don't need a, a, a heart that gets fixed up and, and, and better. You need a new heart. And that only happens through rebirth, which comes from the Holy Spirit. And this leads us to the third question which is how do you experience rebirth? So we've looked at what it is, why you need it. And the third question is how do you experience it? Now note what I'm asking here. I'm not asking what do you need to do to be reborn? We've already covered that. You can't control your rebirth. It's not something you do. It's something the Holy Spirit has to do in you. The question I'm asking then is, how do you experience rebirth? How does it become a reality in your life? Look at verses 14 to 15. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life, Zoe. Now, this is a reference. Jesus is referring to Numbers chapter 21. And in Numbers 21, uh, God, Moses, is leading God's people through the wilderness. And the people begin to grumble. They get impatient. There's not enough food. There's not enough water. And they say the food they have, they're calling worthless. So what does God do? He sends poisonous snakes. And, and some of God's people die and they start to confess and pour themselves out and repent. And so what does God do? He, he asks Moses to take a snake, put it on a pole and raise it up. 
And he says, if anyone, when they're bitten by a poisonous snake, will look at this snake on a pole, they will live. And what we see here in the parallel is that Jesus Christ is lifted up on a cross. And then whoever simply looks at Jesus and trusts in him is healed, experiences rebirth. Now, the Numbers 21 story and what's talked about here, it breaks down, right? Because the, the snake that's lifted on the pole in Numbers 21, the snake's the problem. It's the poisonous snake. So is this saying that Jesus is, no, well, Jesus clearly is not the poisonous snake. What it is saying is this, that when Jesus Christ was lifted up on the cross, that what you see, that gruesome picture of Christ lifted up on the cross is the result of evil and darkness being thrust completely on Jesus. So all the evil, all the darkness of the world taking out its full force on Jesus as he hung on the cross, that what you see as he's hanging there is the result of evil and darkness, that Jesus, instead of you, took it on himself. And if you ever wonder if God cares about your sin, your evil, your brokenness, or the evil of this world, you take one look at that gruesome picture on the cross where an innocent man hung because the full force of evil and darkness was thrust on him. The answer is yes, God cares that much. In fact, the next verse, verse 16, is the verse that, where do you see it? All over the place, right? Football games, it's the verse that's hung up everywhere. Why did God do that? Why did God lift his son up like that until he was beaten and bloodied to a pulp? Why did he do it? Verse 16, for God so loved the world. This actually reads, this is how God loved the world. That's how verse 16 reads. This is how God loved the world bloodying his son and lifting him up on a cross to take the full brunt of evil and darkness and sin and swallowing it. And the physical pain that Jesus experienced on the cross was nothing compared to the pain he experienced when his father turned his face away, abandoned his son as the full wrath of God on sin and brokenness was, was poured out and verse 17 says this, that God condemned his son instead of condemning you. You say, how do you experience rebirth? You experience rebirth when you look at the cross and you realize that should have been me. And instead of me, it's God's one and only son. And the reason God did that was out of his love for me. And when you look at the cross and you believe, you believe in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and what he accomplished for you, the scriptures say that you experience rebirth, that you're given Zoe, eternal life, that God breathes his very life into you, a different life, not just a better life, but a different life. This story, it's a true story. It was rec recorded in the Iceland Review in August of 2013. Listen to this. 
During a tour bus excursion to a volcanic canyon in Iceland, a woman was reported missing when she failed to return to the bus. The bus driver waited an hour before notifying the Icelandic police. Soon after the missing person's report, search and rescue teams and even a helicopter arrived to search for the missing woman. About 50 people also participated in the search on vehicles and by foot. But the search was called off within about 12 hours when authorities discovered that the missing woman wasn't really missing. She was actually on the bus and she had even been a part of the search party. You say, how in the world does this happen? Listen, apparently before re-entering the bus after the stop to tour the canyon, she changed her clothes, clothes and quote, freshened up. The other passengers didn't recognize her. Chief of police told reporters that the woman was innocent of the mistake. Listen to this. She recognized the description of herself and had no idea that she was missing. Listen, you may be on the bus, so to speak. You may be on the bus. You may be a church attender. You may be a religious person. You may even be doing good things. You may be on the search party, so to speak. Not realizing that you're the one missing. Like Nicodemus. Nicodemus was on the bus. <laughs> he was doing good things. And yet he needed to be found. He needed to be reborn. And so do you. And so God says, if that's you, I lifted my son up, bloodied and beaten on the cross to take all of your evil, all of your darkness, your love for darkness, your sin. I poured it on my son instead of you. That's how much I love you. And if you will simply look to my son, Jesus, and trust him, you'll be reborn. God says, I will breathe my life into you, my very life, my Zoe, that you may live. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him may not perish, may not be condemned, but have eternal life. Let's pray. Father, We confess our need of rebirth. And we confess our, our tendency to just want to make our life better, make it more efficient, make it more moralistic, whatever it may be. 
Father, we confess that we need new life. That we need your breath by your Holy Spirit breathed into us. Reborn. Father, there are those here this morning that maybe are on the bus or think they're on the bus that are church attenders, maybe religious, maybe living a pretty good life, but they haven't been reborn. Father, they've never looked to your son Jesus and realized that he was lifted up on the cross to die in their place. Oh, Father, would you pour out your spirit? And would you draw them to yourself? And Father, as a community, would we be a people that know that we've been reborn and that are experiencing the result of having your breath breathed into us. Father, would you keep us from doing religion in the flesh? Would you keep us from being a people that are, that are just controlling our lives religiously and failing to experience this new life, this life of being reborn? Spirit, would you give birth to spirit? And as we close in worship, may we sing of what our hearts believe and confess what we do believe as we look to you, Jesus, as the one who took our sin. And we pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.